0: All right here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Scott.
1: I, I, this is Ollie. Yeah. Thank you. Here, okay. Now
0: I, you can say the thing. All you right. Want
1: to say. I was uh, something cool happened to me just recently, and I, I, and it's it's <laughs> on science. the way to, the,
0: on the way to the forum. Something, Yes, yeah,
1: something okay. cool happened. So I was doing a. So the state has these, you know, uh, conferences around teacher education. So there's mm. this group called PACTE, which is Pennsylvania. Uh, College's uh, Pennsylvania Association for Colleges of Teacher Education. That's what PACT stands for. There you go. Um, and uh, I was presenting at their conference just like a, a week or so ago. And I was leading a session. It was all through Zoom. It was a virtual conference. And I looked at it. And I saw the participants. And one was uh, my dean. So the dean of the college. So I knew. Mm. And she, you know, she was in there. And I gave her a shout-out. But then I was looking down the, my list, the list of participants. And there in the room was Karen Levitt. Karen Levitt was my methods instructor in 1992.
0: Shut your mouth! No,
1: 1992.
0: That... 1992.
1: She taught me how to teach. Wow! And I gave her a shout out.
0: Wow! Look at you! What a nice. I know Karen.
1: Karen Levitt is a. She was uh, at the time a doc student at Penn State. I mean at Pitt. Yeah. Um, and then she is now um, a professor at Duquesne. So still yeah. in Pittsburgh, still in the Pittsburgh yeah. area, but you know, working science education and all that. She was yeah. awesome. Big, you know, she is awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming she's still
0: awesome. Well, right. She was yeah. awesome when you had her. As she was an awesome then,
1: right? She yeah. was awesome then. You know, I'm sure she's awesome now. I bumped into her like a handful of times over the last twenty, thirty years. But this was, it was kind of cool to be in that, you know, setting. I'm just like, hey, yeah.
0: hey, you know, I got two people I, I want to mention.
1: Right. Shout out. What? 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 All right, you want to you want to set up our <laughs> episode after that little rabbit hole there? After that, thought, that, weird, yeah, okay,
0: yeah, okay. Little, job, but, there is okay, uh, yeah. yeah, sure. I'll set this up. So uh, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about agency, um, which, which is not practice, but it's related practice. to practice. We're not talking about practice. We're talking about agency. Um, we're talking about freedom. Freedom but what we are talking about this time is is something that we brought up last time but we didn't do a deep dive so we're going to try to dive a little deeper is yeah. into the idea of epistemic agency. So this is a fancy buzzword that is in science education right now that they're attaching to everything but fundamentally epistemic is the comes from the philosophical term about what it means to know, right? It's about it's about practices of knowledge um, and what it means to know, and how you decide, and what evidence is, and those kinds of pieces. So, um, so epistemic agency has to do with knowing, but but having agency or control or power over the tools of knowing a thing. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk about that today. And we read some academic articles that will stick in the show notes um, to sort of give us some. St- some structure and guidance in how to talk about epistemic agency.
1: Well, I think what's kind of cool is that this ties really nicely into the last, you know, episode. If if you, if this is your first episode, catch the last one. We were talking a little bit about how how minds change because we really talked about the difference between coercion and persuasion, and how mm. persuasion really that that the assumption is that the person the persuadee, the person being persuaded, has some freedom over their beliefs. And yeah. then and that and they're I think, thinking. And, yeah. And they're thinking. And and this is, you know, epistemic agency is is embedded in that. That's like where, you know, that's I think the, the Yeah, maybe even is
0: a step beyond that, right? Right. Because it's not because it's 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 a saying that it's a thinking about a teaching environment in a way that not only do, do you have a right to your own thinking, but your own way that the thinking shapes the way the whole group does their thinking and how yeah. we decide what it means for an idea to be moved forward by the community.
1: Yeah. So where do you think we should start with this? Like, do you do, wish do, do we, should, so like, cause I mean, when we talked about the agency a few episodes ago, you know, I was, you know, I was talking like historically how like some of this is embedded in Dewey and blah, blah, blah. And, um, but I don't know if that's a useful, you know, you know revisitation of of this concept. You know, yeah,
0: probably not. I mean, I think. I mean, I don't know. There's lots of places we could start, I guess. But I mean, well, let me let me say this. Some of this reading was new to you, or maybe all three of these articles were new to you. So, what were things that jumped out to you about epistemic agency that you were like, "Oh, yeah, that's helpful," or that was um, that clarifies pieces of this that I I felt like I didn't understand before.
1: Well, I, I would say for me, um, so I've been working with the next generation standards. And we've been working with the next gener- generation standards for you know a good bit of time. They've existed for you know, a hot minute. Um, yeah. And we've been doing this. 10, 12 years. Yeah. And we've been really doing this deep dive into them with all of the professional development. And I think the one article we read um, was from uh, Miller et al, addressing the epistemic elephant in the room, epistemic agency and the next generation science standards. And I think that mm-hmm. was the first time that I viewed the standards from that perspective. Hmm. I mean, I viewed it from sure. like argument, You know, argumentation. I viewed it practice uh, the practice of science. I viewed it from you know the evidence based argumentation. I viewed it from all of that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But this is the first time I looked at that from you know an epistemic agency, and I think that um, in in this like midway through the um, the paper. They cite uh, Schwartz, Passamore, and Riser, and this I think is is critical because it, it, they frame it with four questions that they like. These are that what what the next generation science standards are seeking to engender in students, and they say mm-hmm. it's you know what are we trying to figure out? How will we figure it out? How do we keep track of what we're trying to figure out, and how does it all fit together? And it's really about like you know like you say creating that that. A community, right, where they have the agency to say, okay, what are we trying to figure out? Like, what is the thing, and and also not just saying what are they trying to figure out, but how do they, how will they know that they figured it out, right? And yeah. what are they going to count as evidence for it to be quote unquote yeah. figured out? Right.
0: How and do I we think, decide that it's figured out? Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that's the first time that I viewed the standards from that lens, mm-hmm. right? And and maybe maybe I. Maybe I did, and it was just like, it was not like fully conscious, you know, because yeah. I could see the agency components of it in the practice. But to really highlight that and saying, okay, this is epistemic agency in practice. Yeah, that's that was an eye opening thing for me.
0: Yeah. I, well, I, th- I think it is. I mean, like so many good concepts, uh, it sheds new light on something that you think. Well, that you did understand before, right. but it gives you a new perspective on that thing by by slightly reframing it and I think um one of the powerful things that that epistemic agency as a concept does is it 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 gives more weight to this idea of children in classrooms being doers of science young yeah. youth in are doers of science and and that any any attempt to meet the new standards that doesn't involve students doing science or as close to doing science as you can manage in your classroom simply is not meeting the standards. So it's not, it really fundamentally is about this shift away from content delivery. And we've talked, to, you know, again to your point, we've talked about this ad nauseum. It's not like that's a new idea. Like it goes back at least yep. 70 years and it it certainly could go back to doing pretty easily which is more than 100 years you know it's approaching 150 years um so it's not that but but it is a, a reframing in terms of really thinking about the the tools of knowledge building and it gets back to this idea of um, you know, the scientific method, you know, to talk yeah. about Dewey, like getting away from, okay, the scientific method is always the same. You start with this thing, you go to this thing, you do this thing next. And it's, it's this lockstep process that you go through. And this idea that epistemic agency is saying, look, there are, science has rules, but those rules are, um, are contextual based on the thing that you're trying to figure out and and there all those practices get mixed together in in ways that are are sometimes hard to differentiate and and pull apart and so what we want is we want students to it you know really feel that to really understand by action by doing that you know hypotheses and tests and questions are all mixed together it's not like you cleanly get through those things um easily. It it requires a lot of social negotiation. So I think that that's really the goal of this.
1: And the and and these folks they they offer a definition that I think is critical for us to to mm. introduce. Uh we define epistemic agency as students being positioned with, perceiving and acting on opportunities to shape the knowledge building work in their classroom community. Yep. I love that. Yeah. I love great. that. You know, and then they said, like, so what what do those opportunities look like? Like we're just talking about opportunities and they're saying, "Okay, there there are four ones that they tease out in this article. One is the opportunities to solicit solicit and build on student knowledge as a resource for learning. That's one Mm -hmm. opportunities to build knowledge, opportunities to build a knowledge product that's useful to students. So that's that relevancy thing. Mm -hmm. And then opportunities to change structures to constrain and support action." So those are the four that they tease out, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is really cool. This is a cool way of looking at the classroom, and this is a a a really great way." And I I wonder whether, you know, we have been positioning the teacher as the the facilitator, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's a a good, you know, metaphor or a good way to describe what the teacher does.
0: Yeah, I don't think it is, but I don't I don't know how much we do that. I mean. But it well, does, I don't know,
1: like how, like how else do we describe this? Like we've, like how well, else? Do
0: you, yeah, I mean, I, would, I think we've described but, it in terms of you know, you could think of it as Vygotsky and in the in the more knowledgeable other, right? But um, but I do think like the those those cliches about you know the the guide on the side versus the sage on the stage or the facilitator. I mean, I th- I try to think about it as the teacher's job is the, um, design or development of a learning environment. Right. And then their job is to participate in that learning environment, but they, they do have responsibility for structuring it. Like it, you can't just say, Oh, you know, again, we're just going to do whatever we want to do. So there is a, a sense of the teacher does have, does have power and responsibility for that for that process. But um, but I don't like facilitator either. I think no. you know, that's that's fair. I think it's it doesn't make well, sense.
1: But I think uh, and actually without in like really intending, this was not my intention. I was just thinking logically, but then I went, oh, you know what? Well, this is a nice way for us to kind of like move into the other article, which is about mm. teacher noticing. Right? Yep. And like so specifically, the the other article, which is Kristen at all, was about teacher noticing for supporting students' epistemic agency in science sense making discussions. Yep. So this is actually this is a really cool study, you know. And I think this is like this is, should be like in your wheelhouse because you're like a you know a video analysis dude, right? Mm-hmm. That's like part of the the work that you've you know developed your vast. Knowledge and vast you know, well, you yeah, like people rich, no, yeah, like, yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they know Scott McDonald because of his work, with yeah, right?
0: So, sure, yeah, okay, uh, no, come on,
1: yeah. don't understand, okay, sell yourself. Please, but don't,
0: what, please don't see me, it yeah, feels weird.
1: <laughs> it's like, I'm
0: not, yeah, thank you very much,
1: no, uh, but so what, what, what this article talks about is like, uh, they looked at two teachers who were, you know, leading a classroom discussion. All right. So they were leading a classroom discussion and what they asked and they were, these were all, you know, videoed, you know, Mm -hmm. recorded. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and what they asked the teachers to do is when they felt like they wanted to, you know, guide the discussion in such a way where they give the students agency epistemic agency we're trying to lead them in some way to like sense making mm-hmm but they, they, I guess, they had like some sort of like, like clicker on their like wrist or something. Yeah, they, had had a, a,
0: they had a wrist remote that was wrist. uh synced up to a camera that was on their head basically on a hat on their oh, head. Oh,
1: that's yeah. And so, they were what they would do is it would record that and mark it, and it would yeah. be like, okay, and then they they talked about what those those moves were that they were doing,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, and they characterized and encoded those, which is kind of cool when you think yeah. about it. You know, because yeah, it's like methodologically,
0: it's interesting for sure, right?
1: Well, because that's the thing is like we don't have models for what this looks like, mm. right? And if we're going to say, you know, uh, ambitious science teaching is it, you know, it's in this milieu, right? This is the thing, mm-hmm. right? If it's, it, it's in this space, you know, so that's a model. But there's like, what does this look like? Because like you, you and I haven't had experiences like this as students, right? I mean, or no, very not few. Not really. Yeah. yeah. Right and and so for us to scale this up we have to have a better understanding of what that looks like in practice and what went what moves as teachers are effective and which ones are not effective and which ones you know
0: yeah, yeah that's true that that's tricky effective not effective right i mean cuz well, no, it's like, so contextual so trying to figure out i mean i think this so I don't want to distract from your point. So you go ahead, and then we'll. Well, no, but
1: I mean that—that's specifically the language they use, right? They use mm-hmm. effective and not effective in this lesson. I mean, I in understand? This, right. So it's not like I'm like going out. They—they—they they, they said the consequences of the efficacy epistemic agency moves were effective, mixed, or ineffective. They yeah. labeled it that way. So I understand. Right. So I'm not like, you
0: know, no, no, that's I'm not, not, me not saying my own
1: opinion, friend. That's like, I know.
0: I didn't say it was. What I'm saying right. is that I think the idea of effectiveness has to be contextual. Right. So we and and, you know, I want to go back at some point here to this idea of like we need examples and we need to watch. And, you know, you were part of a of a study and a paper about that, about the invisible and transparent nature of these kinds of practices. It's very difficult to watch other people teach this way and, and learn from it. So I think, um,
1: you know, this is trying to get inside the teacher's head as to figuring out like what, because it's, it is the seeing where students are and making the decisions. Now I, I'm going to challenge your, your challenging of the effective because of Here's how they describe effective and ineffective. Right? Mm-hmm. It's su- effective means that it was supporting students' epistemic agency in in some way by both the teacher and and the team. So it's a it's not about like that it effectively got them to some normative you know idea. It was mm-hmm. that they that, were- su- that
0: was an argument I was making though, right? Oh, okay. All I right. mean, uh, well, in wait, the,
1: I, you were just you're you're just challenging the idea no, no. of the word effective.
0: Uh, no. What I'm saying is. I don't disagree with that definition, but the point I'm trying to make is what makes a move, a talk Um, move effective is contextual. And so they can identify occasions when a talk move was effective or a thing was effective um, by their definition of like advancing students, epistemic agency. I don't have a beef with that, but what I think you're saying is not
1: generalizable. It's not general.
0: I think that's right. Or at least it's, I wouldn't say it's not generalizable, but it's not as easily generalizable as right. to say like, well, if you want to support students epistemic agency, here are the ways that you just talk. Right. Cause that, you know, again, and we've had lots of conversations about that. Got to right? know
1: your kids. Gotta yeah, know your it's
0: it's like saying, well, if you want to be a good partner, here's a list of the things that you say to your spouse. And it's like, well, okay, not really. That's not how it works. That doesn't mean that there, there aren't patterns and there aren't ways that you can think about how to be better at this stuff. Um, and i do think we have good models i think and we do know what it looks like to some degree in practice but um the question is what degree of specification is helpful and and then how do we get to that degree of specification so how do we how do we help people who are learning how to do this do it better i think both of you and i care about that like if we how do we figure out how to help people get better at this um at a thing that you can't just tell people this is how you do it. Yeah. And this is how it's, this is how to be effective at it. It really, I mean, I think it, it's a challenge. It's really difficult to, to help people develop sophisticated social practice, which is what we're talking about when we're talking about good kinds of ambitious science teaching.
1: Well, when we've been doing this training with folks in the state, we've been like really talking about discourse moves and we're talking about op- questions to ask you know because like a lot of this at least from uh, you know our perspectives is based on like how we ask questions Mm -hmm. from students to try to get them to think and revisit you know their ideas and i think that is really reflected in this you know while we we're not using like the same uh like taxonomy of questions that they are Offering, but I think the taxonomy that they offer is like useful because they say, okay, yeah. some of the some of the questions that the teachers were asking were designed to amplify or connect. Okay, so what they were trying to say is, okay, oh hey, Scott, you believe this? Let let's tie that together with what this a- idea is over here from Ollie. Let's bring right. these ideas together. You know, how do these yeah. things relate? You know, so what they're trying to do is to help build some consensus right, around mm-hmm. ideas to try to really get students to come together or that there was an opportunity for redirecting, right? Okay. I, I know we've been going down this path. Let's jump over here for a second to bring this other idea in, yeah. you know, how does this connect with that? Or doesn't it connect or like what, like let's view this stuff over here. So trying to redirect students, you know, cause maybe they're going down some like, you know, kind of chain that is not going to get them. Right. Or
0: something. It's not right? productive. Yeah.
1: Right. Or that the last one is something reflective, like where they're trying to get the students to reflect on, you know, some data or some sort of thing that they're, you know, and giving them the opportunity to really think and unpack that stuff.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I think one of the things we've talked about is this this experiment, I guess you could call it or my my thing that I tried out this fall where. I asked students to make observations in classes, and then I asked them to think about the two questions like what what is that what is that thing you observe do or how does it impact the community of the classroom and how does it impact kids views of science as a practice and I think of those two questions this paper gets at that first one a lot right so what kind of classroom community are you creating when you are using talk moves that amplify and connect that redirect and reset and are reflective like those create a certain kind of community um and then layered on top of that i think are some of the ways that that you could talk about um you know and this is carl breiter's work which is related to another paper that we read in this set but um but the you know the progressive discourse notions that you know openness expansion mutual understanding so those those things are sort of the sciencey side and these feel more to to me like the community side yeah. because they're about helping helping students you know to your exact point this this community and this is independent of science this community is about people sharing their ideas connecting their ideas and building consensus that's what we're here to do and i think these pedagogical responses and the way they characterize them are are designed to do that kind of work in a classroom
1: yeah and i again i'm like i just keep coming back to like like what's the what's the metaphor not that we need a metaphor but what's the what's the metaphor for our role as teachers cuz yeah. you know facilitator instructor leader all that stuff just seems to fall apart and i think that you know in order for te- teachers to be able to you know I don't know, embrace this, they have to have a, you know, a way to connect it. I think we need to like, cause facilitating this, I mean, yeah. you know, community organizing. I don't know if that mm-hmm. doesn't either. Coaching. Like there's coaching. all sorts
0: of ways to talk yeah, about this. I don't this, like the I think, coaching either. I don't yeah. either, but, but it is a, I mean, and maybe it's not a simple label and that's, you know um, I mean, you can think about it, it, you know, in, in a community of practice sort of terminology, you would think about old timers right? Versus newcomers. So, um, you know, if you're a teacher, even if you're a first or second year teacher, you're sort of an old timer, you've been through school, you've been through more school after that to prepare you to be a teacher. So you're within the community of your classroom, you're, you're more of an old timer. So can you think of yourself that way? Maybe that feels weird too, but, um, but at least it doesn't position you. Um, I mean, I think part of the problem is you, you know, going back to other things that we talked about, Last episode and also today. Today is there's a power dynamic there that you right. can't just give up. Like the teacher can't just say I'm just another kid in the class. Right, and you're not you're not going to give up the authority
1: that. and power you have as a teacher. Even if you try to say, Hey, I'm going to do this, it's still yeah. there is still, it's, artificial. it's artificial. It's artificial, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and the other part is that I mean, the idea with these, you know, discourse moves is the, the assumption that you know, you're leading the discussion you're leading and you have a real good idea of where you want the discussion to go. So while they have this, this epistemic agency, you're kind of helping to to direct the flow because it's like, Hey, if they're like, well, let's test for little, you know, little men that might be walking around making this thing happen. You're like, well, that's not going to be really a productive conversation. Right. So it's not like a free for all. No. You know?
0: no, no, no. I mean, you- I think I think one of the ways that I've I've described it myself and I've heard other people describe it is it's sort of like you are um, like wayfinding you're you're in a terrain, right? You imagine a map or a, and you're like a forest or a place and you're you're trying to get from from where you are to some other place and you've got a group of you and you're trying to figure out how to get there um well you you the teacher has a sense of destination Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a direct path to that, or that that's the only way to go. It's more of a conversation about, well, we've got to move through this territory and we're trying to understand and, and, and build an understanding both of the territory and the destination simultaneously. And how do we think about doing that as a group? Um, but that doesn't have a, you know, it sounds sort of like guide, but, um, but guide isn't exactly right either. Um, right. Because on some level, again, the teacher is the one who structured the terrain. Like the terrain isn't just, you're not dropped, you know, like naked and afraid or whatever that (laughs) show is. Like you're not just dropped from space into some place you've never been before. Um, You're two words.
1: I didn't think we're going to come up today. Naked and afraid. That's the name (laughs) of
0: the show, right? I know. I know. (laughs) Um, And uh, so I think that idea of like, The the terrain has, to some extent, been created by the teacher. And that's that's the power that they have as the learning environment sort of designer. Um, They chose the phenomenon in most cases. Now, some cases they don't. And actually, one of the papers we read they only broadly they sort of chose the human body and then the kids sort of decided what they wanted to investigate well they wanted to investigate like throwing up it was one of the things they were interested in investigating because that seems fascinating to fifth graders um, so how does your digestive tract work and why would that why would throwing up be a process that the human body developed
1: anyone who has taught middle school yeah Knows that that would be something because it's either that yeah. end or the other, right? right. It's it's the beginning of, end the of the
0: tube better. of the. <laughs> there's a tube, and there's a lot of caring about what goes in and comes out of the tube. Yes. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, so
1: there's no surprise to me. If that was no. a surprise to the the researchers, it was not a surprise no, to me. It was, I don't think it was before.
0: a surprise. It's it's not a surprise to anybody who's either been a kid or been around a kid. So right. I think you know that covers most people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm just, I'm just trying to like, you know, where, where else, like in terms of this epistemic agency, you know, we're, we're thinking about it from a, you know, our, our science classroom and the discourse moves we are doing, but I'm like thinking about like, you know, where else are there opportunities for us to, to do this in schools? You know mm-hmm. where else is like, and this is something that we're doing every day in our science classroom because I know these are the things that like, you know, oh well I do that, right? I mean, yeah. teachers are like, yeah, I do that, and I'm like, no, no, you don't, you know. Right. And so there's, you know, I this kind of comes a little bit back to the 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 models because you need to be able to say, okay, you're not doing this because yeah. here I look at this and that's something I'm not doing, you know, yeah, yeah. and so
0: right well i think that but but that brings it up to the next level which i think is also really complicated and one of the things i i feel like i've grappled with a lot and not as successfully as i would like which is how do you think about this notion of epistemic agency and models at the level of teacher education so bringing students in and having that conversation about like how do you know what good teaching is right like and and good good science has a stronger set of parameters and rules to it than good teaching does. And so, so I think this, you know, how do you create environments? You know, I feel like I have a pretty good, we have a pretty good handle on how you can create epistemic environments for kids where they feel agentic and where they, where it feels like authentic science to some degree. And they, they feel like they're engaged in a real process. Um, I'm not as clear about doing that in teacher learning environments, both with pre-service teachers and in-service teachers. I think that I'm working on it and I'm trying to figure out how to do it. But I think that that idea of like, you know, and it goes back to persuasion and coercion and all these other things that we've brought up. The
1: the articles that we're going to include, I think that the cool part about it is that in, in some part or whole, they offer like vignettes or examples or yes. data or I mean that and that's I think the benefits of, of qualitative work because all of these are qualitative in nature
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: is that they're presenting you know the you know whether it's a vignette or whether it's you know actual you know um, you know language from teachers like the actual mm-hmm. here's a quote from uh, participants data. data right that they're giving that for us to better see what that looks like and I think that's I think when like it's the that experience of the teacher and that's the you know qualitative work is all around like trying to understand the experience of the other right and and so this helps us like the one I think is like Ethnographic in nature, or something like they're mm-hmm. drive it like and I think that's really cool because it's it, it's leaning into the idea that this is a community, the classroom mm-hmm. is a community space, and that the way we're going to be able to capture that best is through like some sort of ethnographic study, right, mm-hmm. which is such a departure from like you know what a lot of science well not a lot some science education or some educational research is like okay well, what's the significance of this like what mm-hmm. i what what did you do uh, you know t test did you do a it's like hold on like that like we're talking if we're going to like investigate practice then we have to investigate practice in more authentic ways that are you know related to the beliefs of what practice is and it's community-based it's relational and it's conversations and that stuff we're never going to be able to get to by like passing out a survey we're yeah. looking for, you know, significance. We're yeah. doing T tests or anything like that. It's like, well, right. Oh. Cause you're trying
0: to understand process <clears throat> and right. process is not measured easily by outcome. So oh. if you're, if you're focused on outcome-based measures, whatever that looks like, it's very difficult to say, well, how do we get to that outcome? Cause that, cause the process is a black box. You have a, like a, uh, point one in time, point two in time, and you say there was change. But if you want to understand how that change happened, you have to look at process. And process, I think, generally speaking, requires a more qualitative approach to understand yeah. what's going on there. So I agree. These I, these three pieces are helpful in, in giving us a characterization of what that looks like. I think for me, the thing that I keep coming back to is if you really want to engage if you really want to learn how these practices work you have to engage in them you can't read an article you can't watch a video you have to try it and it has to not probably go well the first time you do it um and it and it it's like you know and we've made analogies before it's like playing guitar. It's like learning any complex yeah. or any musical or the instrument. Trumpet. Or, yeah, or the trumpet. Though that I hear is really easy. Like pretty yeah, much any fool, uh, so any, yeah. any fool can play I the trumpet. Any fool can play the trumpet. Yeah, just like I'd probably, I, I could be Miles Davis by tomorrow if I just did a little practice. You just picked to, it up today. Yeah or tonight (laughs) sometime
1: there is
0: yeah Yeah, it's like mouth trumpet look at i'm already great (laughs) i
1: know you you pair that with rapping and you're like
0: yeah mouth trumpet (laughs) rapping and uh, like those are my core competencies Mm, i think yeah but uh but yeah i mean these you know you don't get good at something that's complicated in a short period of time um and um you know it the the traditional forms of science teaching don't prepare you particularly well for new, these new forms of science teaching. They're just, they're a bigger lift. They're a more complicated task um, or a different complicated task. Um, so yeah, I yeah. think these articles are helpful in thinking about, well, one one core way to try and orient yourself when you're doing this work is to think about in what ways does my classroom provide opportunities for epistemic agency for my kids, where they get to control or or make decisions about what is knowledge, how, what is the stuff we care about, and why, and what? how do we decide which are good ideas and not good ideas?
1: yeah i I think the part like I, I love the concept of agency, but I you know I think epistemology is like one of my favorite words, especially in the teaching and learning space. But mm-hmm. I think the connection of agency to that to like like that to me, I think, is where because that's the idea behind teaching is that we we want to you know give not give like we, we don't give agency, yep. they have it. they have the agency to control how they make sense of the world. And right. what they count as evidence and what they count as knowledge. And I think the more that we tap into that and support that in our classrooms, that's when the magic happens. And that's what yeah. we're trying to engender in our classrooms.
0: Yeah, you know? we're trying to design learning environments where kids can manifest their agency in, in ways that help them be better At science, right? I mean, to do science better. Um, So, yeah, that's that's. And I think uh,
1: that that lens on the next generation science standards was like a little bit of a mind blown thing, you know. So that was that. I think that was to me the benefit of this 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 grouping for this week, you know. So we'll
0: we'll put them in show notes, and you can take a look at them. Uh, They're, I mean, they're fascinating articles. Um, Some people will be more interested than others. I I will say just for notes um, that the one article um, that is from uh, Zhang is an elementary school article, even though it's fifth grade. So it's sort of Damn. upper elementary, but it is nice because a lot, at least a lot of the stuff I tend to read and a lot of the stuff that's out there, frankly, is focused on secondary age kids. And so um, looking at how to, because elementary kids not only can but should be doing more of this stuff um and so what does it look like in a and there are huge advantages in some respects to being in an elementary classroom in terms of long-term investigations um and And they and they have examples
1: of what it looks like like maybe not in terms of like they have like they've captured what the things look like on walls and you know the notes and they have lots of really great descriptions of what the you know students are saying it's yeah that that's a that's a great example of yeah, cool. what's going on in an elementary classroom. Very cool.
0: Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right,
1: All right, Joyce, you want to start with a joy?
0: Sure. Well, given the focus of today's uh, discussion, I'm actually going to talk about a little nerdy tool that I used that I just was able to get my hands on um, that I'm trying to figure out how to use well in my research. So, um, so as, As we talked about um, this week, uh, a lot of my research has been qualitative and video-based in classrooms. So I do a lot of video recording in classrooms, and I'm always looking for better and easier and lower barrier entries. Uh, ways to do that. So I just found these really cool. Um, they're called uh, the company is DJI microphones, and um, they're little clip on your lavalier is the you know the term of art, but um, they're microphones that clip on your on your collar. Um, but they come in this. They're small. They come in this tiny little rechargeable case that sort of looks like a giant uh, iPod sort of case um, charging case. And they have a little connector that lets you connect it to all sorts of devices, so not just traditional video cameras but also to phones like your iPhone. you can just plug this thing in and it'll record to that or an ipad um and they let you record in classrooms in really cool ways so you can just clip these things on and they're as a as a data person, the other thing I like about them is they're redundant, so you um you can record on the individual device that's on there's a chip inside, like a, 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 memory inside the, the microphone. And then of course they're connected to a camera. Um, so you have redundancy. So if you, something goes wrong with your phone, you've always got the recording on the microphone itself. Um, they're really cool and I'm really enjoying playing with them and, uh, and That's cool. we'll see.
1: Yeah. So is it like one, one device, one recorder, or can you do like, Yeah,
0: it's a pair and you okay. can do, um, you can do, I'm showing them to Ali, you, you can't see them at home, but oh, yeah. um, so there's a pair of them in this case and, uh, and they, um, you can see there's like a little, sure. yeah. So, and so you um, can
1: put one on you and one on somebody else, and they could record that conversation.
0: That's right. Or you could that's put okay. one on a, uh, one on a kid and one on a teacher or whatever you want. And you can have up to five pairs in a room without them interfering so it's pretty. You could you could conceivably mic up a lot of people in class, uh, sure, an and then like basis. have like yeah. a
1: real good capturing of what's going on in the classroom discussion. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So, My mine nice is toys. far less cool. Mm. Um, I I was uh I was out recently. I went to a restaurant, and one of the things that I always enjoy is there are certain things on a, a menu that if I see them on the menu, I order them on a menu. Um, okay. And one of those is a banh mi. If I'm ever out some place, oh, I see a right. banh mi sandwich. If you're not familiar with a banh mi is, it's a, it's a Vietnamese sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, usually there's some sort of protein. Um, and then there's some pickled vegetables and usually mm-hmm. some like cabbage. And mm-hmm. then there's like a hot mayo. A spicy mayo. A little yeah. spicy mayo that's on there. And, and it's just it – usually it's a really – it's just – hits all, checks all the boxes, a little salon. cheese,
0: uh, French baguette.
1: Yes, yes. Yes. And it's like, perfect. It's no. a, per, like, and so recently I, I had one that wasn't very good out. I was like, mm. saw it in the menu and I was like, ah, I'm going to try to make this at home. And so I've tried to be a bit, oh, and I was like, yeah. I'm going to make some pickles, make some, and nailed it. Nailed yeah, it. Nailed I, yeah. It. Nice. I made it with like, you know, some chicken thighs, cut up some chicken thighs. It was great, you yeah. know? and, and, the the you know the teenager. I got a teenage boy at home who is not easy to please. Let's just say yeah. that. Okay. And he's like, Dad, you rock your Nice. Yeah? And I like, yeah. yeah. All right.
0: Yeah, we we are uh we we like a bomb in this house and we have a tofu. I have a vegan in my house, so we do a lot of tofu based oh, foods. Nice. So we have a tofu bomb that's a regular rotation on our uh, on our menu and they're awesome, man.
1: Yeah, I love a bomb yeah. If I see it out there, that Cuban is another thing oh, what, the real uh-huh. what, the real challenge is if a Cuban and a bonnie are on the menu I don't know what to do it's like one mm. of
0: each I
1: mean yeah <laughs> eat half, half of
0: one half of the other take the other two <laughs> halves home you got lunch tomorrow look at that
1: I'm uh, mm. solved uh, yeah that's exactly right <laughs> or you <laughs> order one and oh, you know, there and you know, go somebody you're, you're and else and then, yeah and then half and share
0: share yeah sharing's is yeah. nice
1: you know, sharing is great
0: Yeah, yeah, that I know
1: that's in your wheelhouse because it's like if somebody orders something at your table, it's like that's that's (laughs) isn't that right? That's like in your it's your belief. It's like come on, that's very game.
0: I got I got converted. Uh, that's that's a story for another day. But okay. yes, or, originally I had very strict rules about. I ordered what I ordered because I want to eat what I ordered, so you don't get to touch it. But I have changed uh, as I have grown. One of one of my areas of growth is that I'm now much more of a sharer because I like to taste mm. lots of different food. And when you go yeah. to a good restaurant, yeah. somebody across the table's got a nice looking me, You want a bite of that? Yeah. yeah or you want, give me a bite of that me and I'll give you a bite of my Cuban over here, and we'll be. That sounds out. like a deal. Yes. Yeah.
1: Ah, that is, that is great. That's awesome. That's, now I'm uh, hungry.
0: You know what that is? That's culinary agency right there. Oh, wow. Wow. Look what Look I just you. did. Now we need I'm, so proud, I'm so proud of you. Thank wow, you. I'm so
1: proud of you. Wow. Hey, that kind of fun. That'll happen next time too. In- in Catch between. you then. Yeah. See you then. <laughs> Bye. Bye now.